to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Rhea Wong with you once again. Today, one of my very favorite guests, Kara Logan Berlin, founder and CEO of Harvest. And today we're going to talk about all of your fundraising concerns in this time of COVID-19. Kara, welcome to the show, but oh my God, WTF. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, this is one of those things that you always say, you know, do you have a rainy day fund? Because you never know when the floor can drop out. I think that this dropped out a lot faster. Although if you look at things, you know, we should have seen signs and been thinking about what the spring like gala season was going to look like as far back as January. But yeah, yeah. WTF. I mean. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, we all said it basically a year ago. We're like, we're due for a downturn. Like, this is how it is. If you look at like the history of the stock market every 10 years, you see a downturn. But like, nobody could have predicted as fast and as far as this fell. And so it actually feels a little bit different than 2008. Would you agree? Or what, what's your hot take on that? I mean, yeah, I, I would agree because 2008 was a financial crisis, right? It was Lehman and Bear, and then everything dropped out and it was just money. You compound that with the fact that we've got a health crisis on our hands. People are afraid. People are nervous. They're scared. Add into that all of a sudden this whole workforce has to learn how to work remotely. And as someone, I've run my company for 10 years from home and I work really well from home, but lots of people do not work really well from home. And it is very obvious who's struggling and who isn't. And it's not even a work from home. You're supposed to not leave your house. So now you've got mental health issues on teams and productivity and money and health. And it is a bit of a shit show. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so let's talk about what to do now. Because obviously, you know, it, it's <laughs> it's easy to look back in hindsight and be like, yeah, I should have had a rainy day fund. But, you know, let's say that you don't. Let's say that you have a couple of months of cash on hand. Uh, fundraisers, I think, are kind of scratching their heads because it feels like you know, maybe it's not the right time to go out for an ask for anything above and beyond like emergency immediate needs. But at the same time, in three months time or six months or whenever this ends, we're still going to need to pay the bills. So like, what what do we do? Well, when there's something like this, you know, the first thing you do is you circle the people that you consider to be sort of friends and family donors, right? So first thing you do is you have a whole strategy and a plan with your board. So that means just talking to them and actually including them in the process. The the nonprofits I work with or have worked with that are managing this well, and I've seen manage it well in the past, they have a weekly call with their board and they have for the last month. It's Sunday, it's Sunday nights at seven o'clock. It's something that can't be interrupted. And where they update on these are the choices we had to make. This is what's happening with staffing. This is what's happening with operations. This is how we're adjusting the budget for next year. These are the programs that are on the cutting block and the order in which we'll move through them. So making sure that the board knows that they're part of this, because first and foremost, your board is responsible for the fiscal health of the organization. That's their responsibility. 
So you can't handle it in a vacuum and you need their expertise and their partnership to make the right choices and to keep your head when you're trying to make a lot of these emotional choices too. You know, the the next thing you've got to do is you call all of your donors and you don't call them and ask them for money. You call all of your donors and you ask them how they are. Relationships are how, you know, are how places sustain and Maybe they don't make a gift now, but holding them close and remembering that these are people that believe in your mission and believe in what you do and have been supportive in millions of ways, be supportive of them too. They're also humans that are scared too. So being a real friend, building that relationship, talking to them and just saying, listen, we're calling everyone and checking in on them. How are you? And many of them will say, how are you guys? And it gives you the opening to say, we're good. You know, we might have to, we might have to cut the summer program you know, we've moved the gala to the fall. This is what we're thinking. We're really hopeful it will still work. We're going to keep fundraising through the summer on that. Updating them in a way that's very organic and normal and saying, listen, I'm going to keep in touch. We'll probably send an email out in a month or in two weeks letting you know, you know, we'll update you on what's happening with the event or we'll update you on what's happening with the corporate event we were doing or, you know, whatever it is that you're just, you're really transparent and build the relationship and talk to them. And then that's all about money, right? But the next thing you do, and it's like a whole nother section. So I feel like we should take a beat. I'd love to hear your thoughts on those things. But it's what can we do as a team to get our ducks in a row and to be like a highly functioning, highly efficient team of excellence in this downtime? Development teams are constantly saying, well, we've been wanting to clean the website, the, like, the website out and like redo it, but we haven't had time or we want to clean the database or, you know, we've never really prospected like we should for X or we've never really done this. This is the window. I have a list of like 10 things you can do as a team and you don't have to do it all at once, but like an hour a day on this list of housekeeping that will make you so much stronger once the dust sort of clears. And I'd love to get that list if you're if you're willing to share. But let, let I'd love to go back a little bit on the the board piece because I think that that's 100% right. You you pull them in, you make them part of the team. Um, and, and I say that because I know a lot of EDs are trying to be superheroes and like take care of everything on their own. Like this is not the time to be a, a lone wolf. But I'm wondering do you think that this is also the time to ask the board to make an extraordinary gift in light of the financial turbulence ahead, given also the fact that their portfolios are probably going crazy? Well, I mean, I think you have to be really direct with the board too on a few things fiscally, right? Like, you know, you see some, you you know, you see some decisions that people make that are just dollars and cents, but you have to remind the board that on our side, like these are people we serve and a lot of our staff are people we've served in the past. And, and you can't just cut those things and like respecting and asking them about what they're doing with their work as well is so important. And what decisions are they making? Cause you can learn a lot from how they're thinking about the markets. They're also giving them the props of like, listen, you have a whole different view of this than we do especially if you have board members in finance, they've got a lot more information and they understand a lot more than traditional EDs do about what's happening with the markets and what we can expect. Because a month ago, people were saying, all right, this is going to be like a month or six weeks. 
And then this week, as much as this week, I'm hearing from board members, listen, this is probably an 18 month downturn. So it's important to like, let them know that like, you don't just want their money and their support. You really, you need their expertise because that helps you with planning. It's if this is an 18 month and it's truly, we're not going to be able to have events maybe, or people are not going to be in position to make gifts for events for galas in the fall. Should we be trying to figure out how to do some sort of virtual event in the fall? Or should we be moving everything, cutting like the spring young professional, combining them all for, for spring of 2021 instead? Like how strategic can we be on mapping out all of our options? They can give you a lot of that information, but you do have to have really real conversations with them about if you have any board members with outstanding gifts and pledges they have not fulfilled, saying to them, are you able to do that now? Because, you know, we're talking about laying off 10% of our employees and your outstanding gift would cover all those salaries. So you don't have to be that explicit, but you do have to say, we're going to ask everybody if they're capable of doing this. And, and if they will, if you have people that have multi-year pledges, and you have a good enough relationship to them, going to them and saying, would you consider fulfilling your pledge entirely now? And remember, we can't make decisions about what our donors want to do or can do. Lots of times people are like, we can't, we can't ask them to do that. They can't do that. We don't know what anybody can do. We have no idea. We don't know if some people bet against this positioning and bet against the market and are making money hands over fist. Like we don't know that. So what we can do is say, would you consider doing that? Or would you think about that? Is that something you could do like to help build up our reserve? And, you know, the other thing is, I think the board can be a really good resource on some of these relief fund gifts and in helping understand the legislation that was just passed and what applies to me and what doesn't. And I also think, oh yeah, this is another one that I just was reading about yesterday. You know, there are all of these 0% loans and every nonprofit should go take them out because I think a lot of this is a lot of the loans will be forgiven. Like I think at least two or three months probably of them will be forgiven and it's free cash and to just get you a little more of a, of a cushion to like pay some of these salaries in the short term and buy you some time. So I would, I would really recommend that. And that's something a lot of your boards can help you do too. 100% agree with you. Cash is king right now. Um, And I would also recommend that folks kind of think a little bit outside the box. Like, can you negotiate with your landlord to, you know, first all your rent payments? Can you like negotiate down with any of your vendors? Can you um, not pay some of your outstanding debts? Like anything to get cash in the door. I mean, listen, I'm a consultant. If you're debating firing your staff or firing your consultant, Fire your consultant. Trust me, my clients are all taking my advice. (laughs) (laughs) You train them well to your detriment. But yeah, listen, I agree with you. Right? Like it's deferred. You will come back to the project. You will come back or cut it in half or cut it in a third. Like say to them, listen, can we just do X, Y, and Z for the next three months at 25% of what we normally pay you? And you can keep moving us, but maybe you only work five hours a week so that we have that cash. And your consultants would rather you know, still help you. I mean, if they're not a monster, they would rather still help you and get paid a little bit to do that. Knowing that like, this is going to settle as opposed to at least for me and my experience, I would rather keep helping you 
and then I tap out now because you can't pay me. And in four months, you call me to pick up a project. And we lost four months of your year on planning because you weren't going to pay me. Like, I, I would rather keep helping you so that once you're ready to hit the ground running, you have the tools you need and you can go and you can just pay me later. I think, you know, don't ask, don't get. Like, talk to your consultants and be like, can we get creative with this? Could I not pay you till the fall? And I will give you a letter that says we will pay you. I totally agree with you, though. I hope my clients don't listen to this. <laughs> uh, so I'm an insane person. I'm regularly just getting rid of clients from the goodness of my heart. It's a great <laughs> business model. Yeah, um, right. But, you know, right now, people have really hard choices to make, and they mm-hmm. need to take care of their people. But on the other hand, okay, and I know this is probably, like, not the most PC thing to say, but, I mean, could this also not be... Um, an opportunity to clean house a little bit like you know as EDs we always kind of you know we we have staff members we think might be time to show out the door but we never really got around to it or maybe there's some programs that we were like never really sold on could this be an opportunity to sort of um, not let a good crisis go to waste so to speak I mean I think that's really insensitive just kidding. <laughs> it is. It's, you're obviously a monster. Um, but well, no, yes. I mean, <laughs> yes, it is. It, it's such a, I'm sorry. Did I freak you out? <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, you know I me well, I've been called worse. I've been called worse, but you um, know, look, no, I, like, listen, yes. On every not, I mean, in every nonprofit I've worked with, I've had 130 clients like not counting even the people that go to things or I've taught for every single one of these places has people on staff that they haven't been able to figure out how to get rid of them. And one of the things they keep doing is this person's bad at this job. We'll move them to this department. We'll move them to this department. So this is a great opportunity. My savvier clients right now are making lists of the people that for a long time they knew were not going to perform at the level they needed them to, and they weren't sure what to do. And this is where this is where you get rid of, of those people because it frees up a whole lot of cash fast and it takes care, it gives them, you know, this opportunity to apply for all of the aid that's available to them. And they have the time to job search, right? In a way that they wouldn't have before and think about what they want to do. It's a hard thing to do. Firing anybody is hard, but if you're going to have to cut your budget and especially you've got all of these galas and benefits and cocktails parties that were supposed to happen between now and June 30th that were supposed to be in this fiscal year that are not going to happen, you're going to have to make changes and you should make it in places that you should have made it in when times were good. It's, it is the right time. It's, a, it's really smart to evaluate all your programs. Why do we do this? Is it any good to begin with? This is where development planning comes in, right? That you know, this is the time to like really build your development plan for the next year on how the money comes in and then a separate plan on how it goes out. Where do we spend money? And is, is the ROI high enough there? Is it where it needs to be? So if you can't, if you can't be thoughtful when you have this much amount of time, you're never going to make those decisions later. And you're going to have to make some hard decisions. You're going to have to cut some programs. I think a lot of organizations are going to cut their summer programs this year to save themselves, like just the added budget, because if they don't, 
They don't know if next year, if it happens again, they're going to have to lay off massive amounts of staff. We don't know. You can't run a, a, an after school or a summer program if you don't know if school's open. Or if you don't know if the kids are going to be allowed to go out. It, you can't just say, all right, starting Monday, we're going to run that program. You have to hire all those people. You have to train them. You have to onboard them and prepare them. And I think a lot of programs are going to get cut this year as a preemptive cut to protect against if it doesn't even out by fall, which is which is really sad, but. Well, yeah, I mean, particularly coming from education, as I know you have, it's like, especially with the pop, uh, vulnerable populations that we work with, like they've already had school cut. So when summer programs are cut, like, what does that mean? But um, can I talk about institutional donors for a second? So like, by and large, we've talked about individuals, but I'm wondering if you can give any insider advice to how you might communicate or work with institutional donors and program officers at, during this time. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that you should, if you haven't already, you should call every single one of your institutional funders and just say to them, checking in, want to make sure we're in good shape. You know, is there any opportunity for relief funding or additional grants? These are the things that, you know, these, I think going into that call with like ideas in your head about the things that you may have to cut or where additional funding could be helpful is good instead of saying, we might have to make hard choices. They're getting these calls from everybody. So, but to be able to say to them, listen, we're just checking in. Your grant is for, especially if you're considering cutting a program that they fund your grant is for X, Y, Z, as we're looking at our budget and thinking about next year, would you consider allowing us to move that into general operating this year? And, and say, you know, having real honest conversations about like, where are you at with this? This is where we're at. This, these are the preemptive strikes we're making. We're really in touch with our board. This is all the relief funding we're going after. If you know of anything we're missing, please let us know. And just being like really there and a partner in the process with them. Because if you go radio silent on them, you have a much less of a chance of getting an increased gift or being able to convert your gift to where you need it to down the road. When I think you make a really good point, which I, I want to pull out because I, I want people to really hear this is I think that there's a tendency for people to treat you know, donors and program officers as kind of like gods on high. But it, the truth is like they are partners in this work. I know a lot of EDs who want to like sugarcoat things or like not tell them bad things. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I don't think that that serves because this is a hard time that we're in. So aside from even this moment, like it doesn't serve you to hide bad things from your funders. Like it serves you to be authentic and to be a partner. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the fear that people have to get over of like treating them as if they're, you know, gods. Well, yeah, I mean... This is part of like any type of donor, right? Your funders, your individual donors, there's an idea that they're special or different or because they hold the money. But at the end of the day, they just want to partner with you and they want to help you as much as possible. Now, that doesn't mean you share with them all your dirtiest of laundry, but you can say to them, our budget shortfall this year because we don't have the event or our budget shortfall because we can't fundraise for the campaign is going to be X. And the ways that we think we're going to be able to attack this are by cutting X percent of staff, 
looking at different programs that we might take a year off from, or we might modify. And if they apply to them, explaining what you're going to do with that, but saying to them, this is how we're proactive. This is how as a, you know, and these calls should not be from the director of development. These calls should be from the ED or the CEOs and the director of development can sit in on them. But, you know, saying to them, like, this is how we're being proactive and thoughtful in trying to serve our mission in the best way that we possibly can for the long term. Um, these are the short term decisions we're looking to make. And I just would love to, like, talk them through with you. Like, does this sound like we're on the right path? Does this sound like the right things we should be doing? You know, as we're looking at relief funding, can you add any insight as we're looking at program redesign or redistribution of funding, like of, of funding? What are your thoughts? How else could we be creative? Because they're also having these conversations with lots of other nonprofits who maybe are doing things in really smart ways they can share with you. You know, we should be leaning on each other to learn how to navigate this together as opposed to everyone trying to do it in a vacuum and like solve the problem. It's really uncharted territory and we should we should be helping each other. That's right. So can you talk about because I, I think you know, sort of underpinning all of your advice is really about communication. And I'm wondering if you can give us any guidelines around like what sort of communication should be put out, how often and to whom? Well, I think you know, our tendency lots of times is to over communicate with non-human contact. So we, you know, we will over email and over blast and over Facebook and, and do tons and tons of that. And very little of the emotional reach out and calling and talking to humans. So I think especially with your top 20% of donors, having that human contact is really, really important. And I would prioritize if your option is to write another letter and email it to all of your donors or to call 10 donors, call 10 donors. Because the likelihood is that your donors you want to know what ha is happening aren't reading your newsletters because they get a million of them and they don't have time for it. So you have to think about is the thing I'm doing achieving the goal? Like if the point is to communicate and to update them and to actually build that relationship, is this the way you actually do that? Is this how you would do this with real people in your life? Do you send an, an email update to your whole family once a week, uh, like a formatted letter or do you call them or email them or text them? You you do a regular thing because that's what regular human people do. So I think we need to step back from thinking that like, it's got to be the corporate. Here's our response. I think it's great to do that. But once you've done that, maybe once a month outside of that, there should be human touch points and you should be prioritizing those. That's a great point. Talk a little bit about, and, and I don't know if you have a view on this, but like, We've talked a lot about external communications. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about internal communications with staff. And oh, so many places are so are having such a hard time because people are so afraid and they're so they're so afraid to be fired. They're so afraid for the people they serve. They're so afraid that the organization will go under. Your best bet to sort of settle people is just that you communicate honestly and clearly and constantly with them. So that you do a once a week, at least once a week, like town hall, stand up, everyone can call in and the CEO 
and the head of each department um, gives a quick, a quick update on where they're at and what's happening and what decisions have been made. You know, I have clients that are doing a 30 minute call three times a week and each call like a different team presents, um, including doing fun things on video calls. Like, you know, for the team that's presenting, you get like, show us your apartment, a pet or a kid that's in your house. <laughs> you know, it's really fun. So you're like getting to see people's lives a little bit. I've got clients that have, they've picked a book and they have a book club, like a, a whole team book club, and they, they report back on it and they have one call a week where they talk about the book. I, you know, the working remotely thing is tough. You're going to have some people on your teams that really flail at it. Like don't know how to hold themselves accountable, can't motivate, aren't sure what they're supposed to, like if they're supposed to be cleaning up the database or they're supposed to be, you know, working on prospecting or working on grants, like can't work, can't build their own timeline. So, you know, I always, someone described it once as the platinum rule of management, not like you don't manage people how you want to be managed. You manage them how they need to be managed. So if you have people on your team that need structure then have a 15 minute call with them every day. And before that, they need to send you the list of things that they want to do and that you go through and set timelines and deadlines on everything on their list. You're like, all right, at the end of the day, like shoot me a quick email of like how far you got with stuff and we'll talk tomorrow and restart. Like if that's what that person needs, give it to them. If you have other people that are great about it, you meet with them once a week and you talk about the things on their plate I will say with everyone you manage, every task you give them, there's a due date and a deadline. There has to be deliverables and a deadline. And sometimes people are going to blow through it. They're not going to get it done. It's going to be a bad week or they were slower than they thought, all of these things. But um, if you don't have the structure in place, you have no way to track how they're doing. And you could lose three weeks with them being like, I'm working on it. And then you realize they haven't worked on it. Yeah. Well, and look, let's also take into account the fact that like, I'm sure emotionally and mentally, a lot of people are just dealing with like, you know, the bad news every day and just yeah. the onslaught and like, it makes it hard to be productive when the world is falling apart, but you're right, which is like, let's also hold each other accountable. Just to add, like, I, yeah. I also think that especially if, if you have a lot of anxiety and you know, this is very stressful and this is really hard and all of those things. I think structure helps in those situations. I think giving people windows of structure that they have to be productive in these windows. You know, if all you have to do are these three things today, then you have permission the rest of the day to not do anything else and to take care of yourself. So that, you know, when you're going through people's to-do, it isn't an eight-hour workday of things, but it's four hours of things. So that then when they get those things done, they have permission to not do anything else and not feel the guilt and anxiety attached to like, I should be doing something else. So I think providing that structure gives them the space to like not do anything for the other hours, which is really helpful. Well, look, and I think, you know, I don't have kids, but I totally empathize with people who are fine, like yourself, you have small children at home and you have to juggle homeschooling them and doing your job and, you know, all the other stuff that you do in a day. It's like, I, I don't know how y'all do it, but it's a... Not very well. Added <laughs> complexity, shall I say. Didn't work. Um, so last question for you. I mean, 
this this will end eventually at some point. When do you think it's appropriate to start to fundraise again? Because like I, I know just it feels a little toned up right now to ask for anything above and beyond kind of just like basic survival. And I'm just wondering, like, when do you think might be a time that we can start to do some kind of normal things around fundraising? So it's it's such a good question. And it's it's such a good reminder to everyone that there's a reason it's called development and not fundraising, right? It's because you're developing relationships over time to get yourself to the ask. So all of this we're doing, all of the the planning and the prospecting and refining all of your letters or your your solicitation letters or outreach, refining acknowledgement letters, refining the process that we follow up with people before and after events, all of that is fundraising. It's getting us to a position where we'll be ready to make the ask. Um, and I think we have to remember that calling donors and checking in on them and making sure they're okay and calling every donor that's given to you in the last three years and just checking in is fundraising. It's development. It's building the relationships and making sure people remember and know who we are and that we're front of mind when things settle. And we can't feel like it doesn't count because it isn't an ask because major gifts oftentimes is a three to five year game. You're, you're, you know, people are making nominal gifts and you're building the relationship and spending time with them before you make the large ask. So people need to reframe this time with all of this sort of outreach and planning and strategy and thoughtfulness as part of that major gift process to be ready to make the ask when it's appropriate. And I don't know when it's appropriate. It's a hundred percent. We're going to know. I mean, I think the virus is going to tell us a lot of things about what's appropriate and what's not. And we have no control over that. I think, you know, I'd like to believe things will settle down by June and that you can start reaching out to people again after July 4th to get them to commit to, to recommit or commit their, their fall event participation, whether they're on committees or chairs or honorees and to talk about what that looks like for them. I wouldn't, if you have fall events coming, I wouldn't touch any of those conversations um, until we know a little bit more. There's no reason to do so. If you ask anybody to be an honoree right now or a chair or a host committee member, the answer is going to be no. So there's no reason to hurry and rush it because your anxiety needs an answer because you won't get the answer you want. So try to take a beat and just think and, and and think about how can we make this event more special and to think, do some creative out of the box thinking about if we can't have events, if we can't gather publicly, what can we do virtually? Can we, you know, can we do a think about, think about things that are happening, things about things that are interesting to people. Could we somehow figure out how to do a movie screening of something where everyone logs in and watches the movie and it's, you know, $25 a person to do that, but it keeps people engaged or like we could show our films. We could do the best of our films, or you could do an online, some sort of online casino night, or you could do an online March madness, you know, where you build fake teams and we figure out a game. I don't know. Like, I don't really know what the answer is, but we've got to get creative. I mean, my team, we're trying to come up with like, 20 different options of things people could do to raise money that no one leaves the house for. 
So, because we want to be able to give people options. If you can't do that, can you do this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I always like have <laughs> this vision of like dinosaurs in my mind of like when an asteroid hits and an asteroid has basically an economic viral asteroid has hit the folks, the species that can figure out how to be nimble and innovative and creative are going to be the ones that survive. Yes. And the slow moving ones who do business as usual will not. So, yeah. And I think we have to, you know, as a whole, the sector has very low risk tolerance and we're going to need to be a lot more creative and willing to try new things. And the idea, right, is that some of these things will stick and some of them won't. But if we can't adjust and if we just wait for things to get normal, um, you're going to be out of business. So, and there are a lot of resources and conversations that, you know, I would, I would urge anyone, you know, who does this work, talk to your peers, talk to every other person in development, you know, and say, what are you doing? Because everybody has a good idea. Everybody is doing something different. Every client of mine is trying a different angle and it's really helpful. It's great to be like, Oh, that's interesting. We didn't think to do that. Or it didn't even occur to us to, to make that ask. So I think we, you got to do it. And listen, this is not forever. It's not forever. It will not be like this forever. It is really hard right now. And it's, it's scary and frustrating and challenging and, and sort of awful, but it's not forever. It's just for right now. And if we can get through it and you can take the time to do all the prospecting for grants you ever should and to rewrite your case statement and make it stronger and to touch base with every donor you have and to look at pricing for every event you've done and to eliminate all of the things that don't have high ROI and to, to look at your website and how you message and your annual report, start working on your annual report. You can write all the stories about the programs you serve now. So do those things, keep busy, keep working. Don't sit and wait for it to get better. Um, make yourself stronger. You'll feel better too. And go outside if you can and breathe. Go, but but not too close to other people. But action is everything for yeah. sure, including but, exercise in your living room for thirty uh, minutes a day. I know. I've been doing online yeah. yoga videos, and it's just it's so unsatisfying. But anyway, I mean, it is. Although I got to tell you, Cosmic Kids Yoga is saving my life. <laughs> Cosmic Kids Yoga. All right, so y'all here's the plug. Yeah. There you go. My yep. kids might put them in front of it. They tell a story and do yoga for 30 minutes and no one talks to you. It's amazing. Oh, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. All right. Well, Kara, as always, such a pleasure to chat. Um, yeah, the circumstances nice being what they are, but always nice to talk to you. And uh, let's do it again soon. And good luck to you. Keep me posted. Good luck to you. Hang in there. Thank you. Thank you.